Though the cover is worn and the pages are torn, yet more precious. And I, I can't even read my own writing that bad. My Bible's so full of junk here. And my notes is the junk. Uh, and though places bear traces of tears, yet more precious is gold than this book worn and old that can shatter and scatter my fears. So it's all about the book, isn't it? I told you I'm going to be diving into Jude. Jude, if you'll get your Bibles right next to the book of Revelation, the second to the last book is the book of Jude. And um, it's a pretty deep book. Jude and Second Peter and Hebrews, portions of Hebrews are the most difficult to explain, to translate, and so forth, and uh, just challenging books. And we're going to dive in a little bit today and get into some of the meat of the Word and I just hope you can take your pens and mark your Bibles. My pastor, who pastored till he was in his 80s, said God put the, the book, his words on pages so we can underline them and circle them and mark them. So mark your Bible. And then years later, you'll go back and say, I remember what that word means. Or I remember what that verse says. But Jude is just a fantastic book. Today, uh, doctrine and teaching is kind of considered minor by churches, almost outdated. We have to change things, they say, because we have too much teaching and too much doctrine in churches. Yet, we have all kinds of entertainment in churches today. And yet, when we study God's Word, it says that we need to major on teaching and major on doctrine. And so we've gotten away from it. And today, we're all into buildings and I'm thankful for our beautiful facility and our gym, 12 acres. Man, God's blessed us. But in Bible times, they met in homes. And today we find churches really into programs, and I'm thankful for programs. But do you really think in Bible times they had Awanas? And they had all these things that we have today? I think Awanas is great. Do not misunderstand. I love programs. But we have to remember... The Bible is all about doctrine and solid teaching and biblical principles, and we have to stick with the book. It sounds old-fashioned, Brother Dan. It is. And I hope if I ever stop teaching and preaching, someone just shoots me and throws me in a casket somewhere. Because I want to stand before God and hear Him say, well done. And I'm not there. A long ways to go. I want to finish well. I wish I could get do-overs on all the mistakes I've made over the years in ministry and leadership. You don't get do-overs. So we have to do our best to finish well. When I hear of people I've known that have been preachers for many years fall by the wayside, part of me is just astonished. Part of me is angry. because there's always a feeling of, boy, God, please don't let me do that. You know, I want to finish well. I want to finish well. So we have here Jude, a two-part message, all about sound doctrine. Let's read verses 3 and 4. The tradition here is to stand, so we'll read these two verses. Stand with me. Jude says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in and unawares. And I've entitled this message, The Creeps Crept In. Certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God 
in our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless us today. We need you every hour. We know, Lord, that you're with us. You're omnipresent. You're here today, and we pray you speak to hearts. Lord, I realize that I'm not deserving to stand here and preach your word. I don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve anything, God. By your grace, you've brought us all together today. And I pray by your grace, we'll worship you in spirit and truth. And now in the teaching of sound doctrine, that I will share this exactly as you'd have me to share it. Speak to hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Jude is, of course, Judah in Hebrew. We know uh, that he is the half-brother of our Lord Jesus. He and James, two of Jesus' brothers, wrote about Jesus and uh, wrote inspired scripture. James is a great book as far as practical. Jude's a great book as far as doctrine. I mean, Jude just gets deep. And they were half-brothers of the Lord, and the Lord had two other half-brothers, born of Mary. Joseph was their father. God was Jesus' father. He also had two sisters. Now, that's what the New Testament tells us. Some denominations say he didn't have any siblings. I don't understand what translation they're reading because in even their own translation from the Latin Vulgate, it clearly says Jesus had brothers and sisters. He was one of Jesus' half-brothers. Now, remember, his brothers didn't even believe in him until after the resurrection. And that's something. You know, to see his miracles and to know what he was like to not believe till after the excuse me, till after the resurrection. So here he's writing to believers because Jude is alarmed at the number of apostate teachers. The word apostate means to stand away from. And they had crept into the church without the church realizing it. And you have this bad doctrine being taught. He wrote this book sometime after the death of Peter and after the fall of Jerusalem. Now, Peter died 64 years after Christ. And Jerusalem fell 70 years after Christ. So he wrote sometime after those two events. And of course, there are three other Judas in the Bible besides Jacob's um, son, Judah. There's Judas, or Jude, also called Thaddeus. Then in Acts, you have another Jude who was part of a, he was sort of a revolutionary, a Galilean. And then you have one called Barsabas who was chosen by the Jerusalem council to accompany Paul. So there are several Judes in the Bible. Now we look at verse 1, and we begin to, uh, you know, just dissect this letter. He says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. Now this word servant, we're going to break this down today and explain some words. Do you know a preacher can actually preach an hour on one verse in the Bible? We try not to do that because it'd be forever getting through Jude. You'd have 34 weeks or 30, 25, excuse me, 25. 24 weeks to get through Jude, and that'd be half the year. So we don't do that. We, we feel that we don't need to go that deep for people. But here it says Jude the servant. Now there are several Greek words translated servant in the Bible. One means young maid or young maiden, a household servant that would do what they were told to do. And another is a word we translate deacon or minister. Did you know we're all supposed to be ministers? Did you know that? You're a minister. I'm a minister. Harold's our music minister. Levi's our children's minister. Brother Bryce is our youth pastor. He's been ordained to do, to preach. And so we were, but we're all supposed to be ministers. And that's a word translated in your Bible, minister. It's translated in your Bible, deacon. But this word is neither of those. This is a word that actually means slave. The opposite of someone who's free. Now, why would Jude refer to himself as a slave? 
We're all supposed to be owned by our Lord. We are bought with a price. We are not our own. We're slaves. The good thing is we, we serve a perfect master. Isn't that great? He doesn't mistreat us. He just loves us. But we owe our lives to Him, and so we should serve Him by serving others. And every time we serve others, we're in turn serving Him. I mentioned to Harold this week, when you give a cup of water to a child, you're giving to Jesus. So let's all roll up our sleeves and serve. Here he is, he says he's a slave of Jesus Christ, a servant, and brother of James to them that are sanctified. Another great word here. Sanctified means to be set apart. Did you know once God saves a person, he has a special position and place in his kingdom for that person? Why do I use the word kingdom rather than the church? Because when I use the word church, we all think of the local assembly. But do you know the church is much more than the local assembly? Did you know you're part of a family of God and you're part of a family that incorporates all the other believers in the world, in this area, your neighbors, and we're all on the same team. So, so we need to realize, and each one of us is set apart in the kingdom to serve somehow in some way. We're in a spiritual kingdom now, the church is. One day it'll be literal, a thousand years on this earth, and we'll serve for a thousand years our Lord. But right now we're supposed to be serving. God doesn't just save us for eternity, uh, future, I, I, I should say for the future. He, he saves us so we can serve him now. We're set apart. We belong to him. We're servants. So he says, James, the one who is sanctified, set apart in Jesus Christ. Notice this next great word, the word preserved. The word preserved. Now, drop down, if you will, and look at verse uh, 6. Middle of the verse, you find the word reserved, reserved. Then you drop down to verse 21, and you find the word keep yourselves in love, keep. All three of those words come from the very same Greek word. We're preserved, reserved, and keep. One Greek word can be translated 10, 15 ways in your Bible. So there you have right in this text, he translates, it's translated three different ways by our translators. So here we have the purpose of the letter, and the purpose of the letter is to teach us the importance of being diligent. Of course, you know, verse 2, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Then he says, beloved, beloved. I love this, beloved. Jude speaks here in verse 3 of the common salvation. Beloved, when I gave all diligence... You know what that word diligence means? It means diligent. Simple. We know that word, don't we? We understand that. We use that word in our society all the time. We need to be diligent. He said, "With I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. That's an interesting phrase, common salvation. It's an interesting phrase. And, and sometimes words have an, an origin. We, we know how some words came into being. And in the old languages, like Greek, in fact, this word actually originated uh, with emptying, emptying something. It's used in acts of emptying a ship and throwing cargo overboard. Then why, pastor, would it be translated common salvation if it means to empty something? Because when we're saved, what are we supposed to do? Empty ourselves. Get rid of self. You know, I have two natures. <laughs> I have old Dan and new Dan, and they're always going at it. And I need to dump old Dan overboard. 
Kind of challenging sometimes because he's got strong, strong, stubborn streak in him. He wants to do what he wants to do. So I picked up some donuts this morning and I ate four donuts. And I thought I certainly cannot preach on self-control today because I have to confess that I ate more donuts than I needed to. Old Dan loves sweets. New Dan says, now you know you have a sugar problem. What are you doing? I say, shut up, New Dan. <laughs> you know, we, we are fallen creatures. We have two natures. And he, the common salvation, to throw things overboard, we need to bring our burdens to the Lord and leave them there. We need to get rid of self. We need to get rid of sin. Get rid of all of it. Empty ourselves of all these sinful practices. And then he says we should earnestly contend. He said it is needful that I write unto you and exhort, to, that means to build or to encourage you, to that you should earnestly contend. And what does that mean, Pastor? Well, it's translated in Hebrews chapter 12, 1, run the race. It's translated by Paul, fight. You know the Greek word already, agonizo. And we get our word agony from it. So we need to agonize for the faith. And the faith there, the definite article, there's only one faith. Did you know that? There's only one baptism. It's not water baptism. That up there is symbolic of spiritual baptism. That tells what happened in my life. That I died to old Dan and I'm raised to walk in newness of life. We baptize people to identify with the death, the burial, and what? The resurrection. And so we're supposed to leave things behind and dump them overboard and get rid of them and identify with Jesus Christ and be like him. Be like him. But we earnestly contend. We fight for the faith. Now that doesn't mean punching somebody in the nose because you get in an argument with them. That's not at all what, what he's saying here. Ephesians 6.12 says we wrestle not against uh, flesh and blood. What do we wrestle against, Pastor? Principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. Who is the ruler of darkness? Satan. Now, he's more powerful than you. Don't go out of here today thinking, well, Pastor preached that I can defeat Satan. No, you cannot. But let me tell you what can. The sword of the Spirit. What did Jesus do? He quoted Scripture to him. Even Jesus quoted the law to send him packing. If you resist him, he'll flee. The only hope you have is the sword of the Spirit. Memorize Scripture and quote Scripture. That's the only way to defeat him. When he's enticing you, when he's after you, or his enemies, his demons, I just quote Scripture and realize you'll reap what you sow if you give in to him. And so here he says we need to earnestly contend for the, the faith which was delivered unto the saints. Now, we know that verse 4 starts out with the word for. Brother Dan, why? Do we need to be diligent? Why do we need to uh, contend? Why do we need to fight? Why do we need to do this? Well, the next verse tells us. The word for, as you know, is translated sometimes in your Bible because. Why? Because these people have crept into the church. Do I know of any of these people here? No. No, I don't. I don't know any false teachers here, thank God. I don't know of any, and well, I shouldn't say thank God I don't know of any. Just thank God I don't think there's any here. 
Because if we have someone teach something that's false, not, I'm not talking about a little, you know, a little tiny little doctrine that, that uh, you know, we aren't sure of. But if we have somebody teach something that's unscriptural, you're going to see a side of me. I'm going to get involved in that. I'm going to call them into the office. And I'm going to correct them and say, you can't teach that here. And if you believe that, you need to leave. Now, I don't ask people to leave a church. I mean, I don't say the doors, you know, are back there. If you don't like it, there's the door and the buck stops here and all that stuff. That's really a lot of times just arrogance. I will hopefully go to them in humility with tears in my eyes and say, hey, you just can't teach that here. This is a Baptist church. We believe certain doctrine and we believe our doctrine is right. And we, we aren't going to give in to teaching something new. So here's why he says to fight for the faith. Because there are creeps coming in who were before of old or, excuse me, before of old ordained to this condemnation. They're, they're condemned. They're ordained to do what they're doing. They are the children of what? The devil. And they're going to teach things that are wrong. And if you want to know words, the word condemnation, look over to verse 6. It's translated judgment in the last line of verse 6. It's translated accusation in verse 9. Same Greek word. And so here he says, these people come in. And it's part of the devil's plan for them to get into the church. They're ordained to do that, to destroy the church. They're often called wheat amongst the tares, wolves amongst the sheep. And I'm certain there are wolves and tares in probably almost every church, except ours. I hope we don't have anybody in this church that's play-acting. You say play-acting, yes, that's the word meaning hypocrite. Hypocrite means play-actor. When Jesus was building the theater near Sephoris, I don't know if he was building it, but his, his daddy was a carpenter. And we think of a carpenter, we think of a framer. You know, Mr. Tabor built, helped, he helped build my house, really. He just told me, all right, Dan, get two, two dozer men. I, I've got two names here. He gave me two names. Now, you pick which one you like the best. Don't just pick the cheapest. How do you feel about the guy? And have one of them doze. And then here's two block men. And here's two framers. And I went through the process. Couldn't find his two framers were preoccupied, but I had to step outside of that once in a while and get a third person. But we went through the process of building a house. And I was thankful for that. But here, uh, getting back, I, I, I've lost my train of thought, which I do so often. But here, um, we know that, back up to, to verse, uh, where were we? Verse 4. And I'll, I'll, I'll remember what I was going to say. But I, I know that we had a plan to build, and it was important to build correctly. And I'll go into that more. I'm sorry. But denying the only Lord and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance that she once knew this, how the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt. So he's sharing with us uh, why we should fight for the faith. And here he says, because they turn the grace of God. Look at verse, um, here it says, they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness in verse 4. And that word's translated wantonness in your Bible. You say, what is that, Brother Dan? Well, it's also translated filthy. Filthy. And so we are to realize these people turn the Word of God into something filthy morally. It's talking about moral filth. So many of these teachers have moral filth. They start out teaching, you think of Jim Jones. What happened? Oh, he could quote, they say most of the New Testament. David Koresh could quote all kinds of Scripture. 
And they attracted people with the fact that they could quote so much Bible and know so much Bible. They attracted people. And then what happened? They started doing immoral things. That's what this is talking about. These leaders who teach false doctrine oftentimes have bad morals. Nicolaitis in Revelation taught some bad doctrine and had some bad morals. And so we know here that that these guys were, these people were ordained to do this. And it says they, they come in unawares. And that's an interesting word. It's similar to the word the Holy Spirit who comes in alongside of us, the word para. The word para means to come alongside of. We use it for a parachute. And the same word, similar word is used, excuse me, for these false teachers. They come in alongside of, and we don't really realize who they are. We said they're play actors, and I, I, I lost my train of thought, but I was stating about Jesus. Uh, Joseph was a carpenter. And we think of a carpenter as a framer, right? But really, the carpenters back then, you know, worked with concrete. All the buildings back then were made of concrete with mud mortar. So when Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites, he was standing right near a theater that his dad probably worked on or may have, and maybe even Jesus as a young boy working with his dad helped build that theater. And then he called them hypocrites. And that's what these people who creep into the church are. Hypocrites. They are play actors. They really look spiritual and act spiritual, and all of a sudden they're teaching something. And sometimes they aren't even very good teachers. They just come in and stir up trouble. Come in and all of a sudden you got them breaking off with a few people and starting a, a, their own church. We got a lot of churches in Chattanooga still more on the horizon. More storefront churches. We've got all kinds of buildings. Many of them half empty, like ours. We, we need for God's people to teach sound doctrine to come together and stop all the foolishness. But every man wants to have his own cake and eat it too, I guess. And so here are these false teachers. They come in. Verse 5 says God destroyed the unbelieving Jews. He talks in verse 5 about the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt. Afterward, destroying them that believe not. What happened to the Egyptians? Then what happened to the Jews? In the 40 years wandering, God destroyed unbelieving Jews. They didn't have faith. What happened? God destroyed them. God destroyed them. Everybody, Joshua and Caleb's age and older, was, were killed except Joshua and Caleb and the younger generation entered the promised land 40 years later. Why? God destroyed them because they were unbelieving. So he destroyed unbelieving Jews. Then he imprisoned disobedient angels in verse 6. And the angels was kept not their first estate. Their first estate, and that means that their, their position, they didn't keep their position. They tried to rebel and rise up and become leaders when they weren't supposed to be. Angels are ministering servants. But some of these got too big for their britches. I don't know what angels wear. Then Halloween, you'll see someone with a towel, and, you know, they have the, they're supposed to be the devil, you know, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, Satan appears as an angel of light. And then we have angels, and I'm thinking maybe they're representing Satan, and the devils are whatever they are. I'm being facetious. But you know, he's clever, and he deceives, and he causes doubt and discouragement. And so we find here he destroyed his disobedient angels and then burned the perverted Gentiles in verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round about like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, that's our word, pornia, did you know if you look at pornography, you're fornicating? Did you know that? 
If you look at pornography, you're cheating on your wife, cheating on God. Don't look at it. That's the word pornia, fornication. And going after strange flesh. And we know today we're in a perverted world. And they're set forth in his example of suffering and vengeance of eternal fire. Did you know God gave us an example of vengeance here? He said, look at Sodom and Gomorrah. Even Jesus referenced Sodom and Gomorrah. While on one hand, I tell you, if you know someone who's gay, be kind and loving to them. Invite them to church. Try and tell them about Jesus. But on the other hand, what does Scripture say? They're an example of God's wrath and judgment to come. God will deal with all sin. But it's not my job to be spiteful or to try to harm those people because vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. You show the love of Jesus, hoping they get saved, but if they continue to sodomize, the Bible says they're going to face the judgment and the wrath of God. That's New Testament. That's New Testament. Not that the Old Testament is not inspired, it is. But I hear so many people say, well, you know, the New Testament talks about love, and it does. Thank God I'm thankful for the love of God. But the New Testament talks about hell a whole lot more than the Old. <laughs> we tend to forget that. Because these people are going to hell. And so God, look how severe God dealt with unbelieving Jews. Swallow them up. Look how God dealt with disobedient angels. Put them in chains of torment. And they won't be released until the thousand years are over. Then they'll be released in Satan for thieves. And then look how God dealt with this, these people of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, that's New Testament. That's hard to, to, to accept. But that's reality. Hell is a real place. You don't have to be a Sodomite to go there. Because the Bible says, Woe unto you, Bethsaida and Chorazin. You had the gospel over and over. You saw my miracles. You didn't repent. He'll be better off for you, for you, he said, to be from Sodom than to reject me over and over and over. Did you know this morning if you're not saved and you keep rejecting God and keep sitting in church, judgment is going to be harder for you than for Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, Sodom and Gomorrah was a temporary fire. Guess what hell is? Eternal. Eternal. And then he says vengeance here and Verse 7, he says, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Who's the vengeance from? An angry God. God is good all the time. God is love, but part of God's goodness is that he deals injustice with things that are wrong. You take a judge today who you have a murderer come in the court today, and we, our prisons are overcrowded. I've got news for you. Capital punishment should still be part of our system today. It was preordained before the law was ever given in Genesis. We have overcrowded prisons because we have people on tape and video and all this murdering people. Some have admitted it, and, and, and they're filling our prisons. They get educations and everything else. And so we have this problem of overcrowded prisons. So now we have judges. Someone will come before the judge who's raped a woman violently, and he's got to turn them loose and let them out early. And we got these predators out on the streets. And what do we do with that judge? We get mad at him. We say, it's not right. What's wrong with that judge? He's not a good judge, is he? He's not good. Why is he not good? Because he doesn't deal with things when they're wrong. He lets people go free. 
That's not a good judge. Our God is a perfect judge. He deals with sin and will deal with all sin. He may not deal with the sin that we see before our eyes today, but he's a God of vengeance against sin, and he will deal with it someday. I, I love the quote, and I, I, it's scary to me, but the wheels of justice turn slowly, but they turn. In other words, God's going to one day deal with all this mess. And so he wouldn't be a perfect God if he didn't deal with judgment. And so he dealt with Sodom, and one day he's going to deal with sin. And he says, likewise. So everything he's, he's mentioned in these previous seven verses apply to what he's going to talk about now. He said, likewise, also these filthy dreamers. Filthy dreamers. What are filthy dreamers? These are charmers, is what you could write in there. They're charmers. They're people who are real clever at getting an audience. And they creep into the church. That's what we're talking about. And they teach things that are wrong. And, and, and boy, they're really, sometimes they're very clever. And I mean, someone who's been a Christian for a while even sometimes get caught up in it for a while and think, and then all of a sudden in the middle of it, they think, wait a minute, that, that wasn't right. Say that again. Sometimes they're on TV. I, I hear a guy quite often on TV. It just irritates the daylights out of me. I've mentioned him before. I'm not going to mention his name, but he's always talking about planting a seed in his ministry. Planting a seed. His ministry is all about raising money from people to get on TV and raise more money from people. I don't believe he ever does anything. I don't ever see anybody saved or anything, but he's always talking. And he says, if you plant a seed, you're going to have plenty of money and your debts will go away. You think, wait a minute, that's not scriptural. That's not scriptural. All of you know that your debts just didn't go away because you planted a seed in your church. To get in debt, you got to pay them to the debt back. And it may not fall down from heaven in your lap or you can pay it back. Oh, I'm sure God's blessed a time or two with that. But you know very well that's not sound reasoning when it comes to money. But these people are really smooth. They can take a passage and twist it. They always use Scripture, or should I say they always misuse Scripture. When Satan quoted things to Jesus, he didn't quote all the verses. Jesus finished the quotes. He finished it because he realized what he's doing. So look what these people do, these filthy dreams. They defile the flesh. What's going on in our world today? Do you know there was a man on our women's basketball team? I can't cheer for him, sorry. I want to be a patriotic American, but, and I shouldn't get political, but I'm going to just for a minute, forgive me. But I think when athletes go overseas and represent our country, if they're going to kneel when the flag is raised, I think they ought to pay their own way back. That's me. Hey, uh, send them a text message. By the way, your flight's been canceled, and we're not paying your motel bill, so you better pony up or you're going to jail there over in wherever they are. And it just bothers me. We got all this perversion today. We know that. And I don't preach on this very often. You haven't heard me preach on this much, much here in the year and a half I've been here. I think I said it a few weeks ago, but here's the problem. We got all these sex changes. It's all over the news. These kids hear it. This defiling of the flesh, sodomites. That's what these teachers end up being like. They, they defile the flesh. They despise dominion. It's a word translated government in Peter, but they despise all authority. What do we have going on in our world today? We despise the policemen. We're against the police. I love our policemen. Is there a bad cop once in a while? There are bad cops once in a while. 
but they're not seen, they don't seem to be near as bad as the people that are throwing things through windows and stealing from stores. I don't know any cops doing that. I'm sure there's some bad cops. And, and, and we're not excusing anyone who's killed by a cop. And I should say, my dad didn't even let me say cop. He said, it's police officer, son. Don't say cop. Respect for the... I don't like it when I'm pulled over. I don't like getting a ticket, you know. Maybe a ticket to a roller coaster. Not a ticket the police give. But I'm thankful for our police. Because when I call, they'll show up to my house. And they'll deal with whatever problem I have going on. Years ago, I had my son had sold his car, his RX-7. Or we had sold it. I don't remember the story, and I probably got this wrong. Sometimes I tell stories, and my kids say, Dad, you messed the whole story up. It's the great thing about having five kids all smarter than me. And, and uh, I didn't know the car was sold. And there's a kid out there, and uh, he's getting the stereo out of the RX-7. I called the cops. They came and arrested him. He's the kid who bought the car. I'm glad he was gracious towards an old idiot guy like me. But I'm thankful the police showed up. And the most embarrassing time, well, I had two other embarrassing times. I'll tell you this one. My grill was on fire. I mean, you know, fire was just going everywhere. And, I, and it was a big flame. It melted some of my siding, and I couldn't get it shut off. I called 911. And the officer got up on my deck, back deck, and he walked out there, and he reached in, and he turned the gas can off, and it all went away. <laughs> I had always thought that can was going to go boom, and I was going to go into orbit. And I felt this high. I thought, oh, brother, is that all that was? He reached in there and cut the gas can off. I could have done that. But I was thankful the fireman came, you know? Yeah. Aren't you thankful for him? Thank God. Maybe we ought to have a day and recognize our local Police officers, we could have Barney Fife in here and all the other great policemen of the, over the years. No, I love that show. But anyway, we love our policemen. These folks dis despise dominion and they speak evil of dignitaries. This is an interesting word. Some scholars say they're speaking evil of, of high-ranking spiritual things, including angels. I, I don't see that, but the next verse starts talking about Michael. But dignitaries... People in positions of leadership and authority. People who are really dignified. Did you know, as, as much as I don't like certain leaders in our world, I have to pray for them. Pray for them. I should pray for them more than I should bash them. It's, the old Dan loves to bash them, you know. I mean, really, it feels so good. But what is spiritual Dan supposed to do? God bless our leaders. Help these idiots, I mean, help these people to make good decisions. <laughs> you know, that's how you feel. But Jesus, it was amazing, he never criticized the Romans that he lived under. Isn't that something? He says, render unto Caesars that which is Caesars. Pay your taxes. Oh, I had a guy come to my house, and he did some work in my house. He said, I don't pay taxes. I just want you to know that right up front. You're not getting a receipt. And I'm a Christian because I don't like what the government's doing with our money. I said, do you think Jesus liked that 17 Romans were pedophiles it's in history that they were, and the leaders of that day were very immoral? Of course not. But what did he say to do? Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. He didn't criticize his government. 
you know, we need to pray for our government. So here, here are the, we don't want to be like these people. They despise dignitary. Then he says, yet Michael the archangel contended with the devil. He disputed about the body of Moses. I'm sure there was a battle for the spirit of Moses. The body was going to remain till the resurrection day. But there's a dispute over the body of Moses. What were they disputing about? I suppose... Knowing the spirit is separated at death, it was a battle over where the spirit goes, but we know where Moses is. He's referred to in the hall of faith or hall of faith of fame in Hebrews. But they disputed. Yet what does it say? Even Michael did not bring a rallying accusation against Satan. He didn't get all mad. He just said, the Lord rebuke thee. Why? Because Michael knew in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, and chapter 20, verse 2, while Michael doesn't understand Scripture, he knew that God would one day defeat Satan and all of his angels. We know that from John's account in Revelation chapter 20. And so here, he rebukes him. And this word here, uh, he rebukes him, or he says, the Lord rebuke him, rebuke thee, excuse me. These, by, 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 blah, 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 blah. I go too fast. Slow down, Dan. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beast, in those things they corrupt themselves. What does it mean they speak evil? Well, that's the word blasphemo, our word blaspheme. These teachers, these corrupt leaders, speak evil. They blaspheme. And there's a reward for these wages. Woe unto them, verse 11. Woe unto them. He mentions Cain. What did Cain do? Committed murder. Genesis 4. What did Balaam do? He's mentioned here. He, he was a man, a prophet for greed. He was all about getting things, getting money, greed. And then he mentions Korah, uh, it's C-O-R-A or K-O-R-A-H, same person, rebelled against authority. And they all were judged. So what is he saying in this passage? That these false teachers who defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignitaries, they creep into the church, teach things that are wrong, they're going to be judged. And the people of this world are going to be judged that do the same thing. And then verse 12, he closes out saying several things. He says here in verse 12, their spotted feast. We talked about etymology of words, so let me explain this word. This word, the history of the word, this word originated with rocks just under the surface of water. And a ship would go along and not see that rock, and the ship would hit that rock, and a massive hole in these wooden ships, and they'd go down. That's how the word originated. But how it's used here in this context is feast with rotten food. I missed homecoming. But I, I know at homecoming that there was some good food. But you wouldn't want someone to come and spoil our homecoming and bring some rotten food. I mean, fish that was three or four days out of the refrigerator. Of course they wouldn't do that. It would ruin the feast. And this in, in the religious, in the, in the Jewish culture meant they would cause the feast to be filthy. So that's what these teachers are like. Someone who will ruin the feast. Spotted feast. And he says here, waterless clouds. False promises. The farmer he gets excited when he hadn't had rain, and all of a sudden it gets cloudy and thinks, oh, man, the rain's coming and the rain doesn't come. And he calls up the weatherman and cusses him out. No, not really, but he's so excited because rain's coming. I need the rain. Rain doesn't come. That's what these people are like. 
There's spotted feast, waterless cows, fruitless trees, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. No, the, the root, they're no good for anything. What did Jesus do to the fig tree when it wouldn't produce? No one likes fruit trees that don't produce. Withered fruit, rotten fruit. That's what the doctrine's like. It's rotten. Verse 13, raging waves. Waves that just get all worked up. And, and Isaiah says they just stir up the dirt. And then he says, wandering stars. Wandering stars. And we all know that you can't get a good sense of direction by following a wandering star. The shipmaster takes a sextant. It's a gauge on his ship. And he can find the fixed planets and the fixed things in orbit. And he knows exactly where he is and knows exactly where he's going. The false teacher's not like that. They don't have a sense of direction. They're going to hell. But they don't, they don't know what they're saying. They're, they're greedy. They're doing this for their own perverse reasons. My faith is anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ. My sextant depends on him in his word. If I want to know what to do or where to go, it's from this word. Doctrine matters. Did you know that? Morals matter. Respect matters. I want to teach and preach God's word and not worry about, worry about anything but God. I'm going to stand and answer for him, to him for everything I teach and preach according to the book of Hebrews. So I want to teach you everything the right way, even if it's not popular. Maybe someday I'll get up and I'll teach or preach against something that you're accustomed to hearing it taught differently. You say, I don't agree with Brother Dan, but my job is not to appease you and tickle your itching ears. My job is to preach the truth. And sometimes even in our own Baptist movement, we've heard some things and we thought, is that right? And sometimes it's not right. This is our book. Yeah, I don't know of anything taught wrongly here. I'm just saying, this is where the truth is. And I want to finish well. I don't want to end my life teaching some false thing. I don't want to end my life falling morally, being cast out of a church, and live in embarrassment the rest of my life. And I've known too many people that have. I thank God my pastor, until he was in his 80s, he was still preaching effectively and lived a good, solid life all those years. But if you end up messing up in the end, you know what happens? They say, oh, he's the one who fell. No one remembers that you may have been faithful in your life for 40 years and then fallen. They remember how you finished the course. And I think a lot of times we put our eyes on people and we elevate preachers. We either defy them or deify them. We don't like preachers and we attack them or, or we make them out to be gods and we raise them up and then what has to happen? God has to bring them down before our eyes. So you realize we're just sinners who've been saved by grace. Don't put your eyes on a preacher. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Stick with the book. Stick with this book. God never leads us in the wrong direction. I love that. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean on to the known understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. Finish well. Finish well. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Always right. Help us, God, to finish well. Help us, God, to serve you. 
to do everything we can do to live for you and to please you. Not to please our church members while we want to please them, not to compromise in pleasing them. Not to please the world, but to please you. God, I want to stand before you and know that I've done everything that I can do to live right, to teach right, to preach right, to walk right before you. Help us, Lord, to finish well. If there's anyone here who's playing the part, a hypocrite, help them to get saved today. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Stand, please.